As I think about the power of words, the power to bruise and the power to heal, to incite and divide, to calm and connect, to create an effect, words fashioned with influence and might make you hear, make you see, make you feel. Words are living, careful things. Whether spoken or written today or 3,000 years ago, they breathe today as they did before. They can start a great love, start a great war. Their echoes are endless. Words define the heart, ignite movements, and sometimes less is more. In this case, it's just 16 words. words that define the heart of Northridge Church, but I don't want you to mistake what that means. Sixteen words that define not a church organization or a church structure or what happens in a church building. Sixteen words that define the heart of the people who are gathered as his church. This series isn't one where I'm telling you about what we as an organized church should be and are supposed to be. This series isn't about defining what the structure of this church is and asking you to fit into it, but this series is really all about sharing with you the truth of what God has called all those who follow Christ to ultimately become. And if we who attend here are embracing the 16 words of this mission that God has given us, then it really does become the mission of the Northridge Church family because the church is a reflection not of an organization, a structure, a building. A church is a reflection of people. 16 words that are supposed to define the life, the the behavioral patterns of all of God's people. And if they do, when they gather together, it then defines his church. The series 16 Words began a couple of weeks back with the mission itself. And the mission can be expressed in six words. Wake the world up to Jesus. Wake the world up to Jesus. Might sound funny at first, but it's exactly what each believer has been called to do in their world in the midst of their thems, family and friends and workplace and community and the places they frequent, to wake the world up to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is what ultimately people are looking for and longing for. Jesus is the one who brought life and fullness. We're all looking for it. Jesus is the one who brought the promises of God and can lead us into the purposes of God. It's what we're looking for. We just don't know it. And so we're here to be light in a world of darkness, to wake the world up to Jesus, because when they know Jesus though it might surprise them. They find everything they've been looking for. The mission in six words, wake the world up to Jesus. Now, if we're going to fulfill the mission and actually help introduce a world that has no interest in Jesus or who has already decided that Jesus is not relevant to them or maybe even Jesus doesn't exist, if we're going to wake the world up to Jesus, our worlds, our thems, the people in our sphere of influence, how are we going to do it? Well, the Bible tells us how. And the first step we can do in four words. Show them his love. 
Because this is how Jesus really changed the world. It's the only reason he left heaven and came to earth. Because God so loved the world. He sent his son. So that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Love to find Christ. It's why he left heaven and came to earth. It's why he went to the kind of people he went to on this planet. He didn't reject the failures, but he went to offer forgiveness to the failures because he was love. And this is what he said about us. By this will all men know that you're really my followers. By your love for one another. The way you wake a world up to Jesus isn't by yelling at them. It's by showing them his love. It literally softens the hardest of hearts and opens the doors that have been slammed to him all along the way because love is what people are looking for and love is what Jesus brings. Show them his love. You wake the world up to Jesus. We looked at that last weekend. And I really encourage you, if you've missed the talk so far in this series, 16 Words, or maybe you're a guest and you've never heard a talk here ever, I just really encourage you, we give them away online at northridgechurch.com. We give them away. I mean, we want you seeing them and watching them and listening to them and sharing them with others. And so you can catch up. You can introduce it to others. The six-word mission, the first step in four words. Now, this weekend, we're looking at the second step to waking the world up to Jesus, how we can influence those in our sphere of influence to know that Jesus is what they're looking for, whether they know it or not. And the second step is also communicated in four words. Tell them his truth. Them being those people in our world, in our sphere of influence, our thems, our family, our friends. Tell them his truth. It's what we're called to do. We're going to focus on that this weekend. And for those of you who are keeping track, because the whole 16-word concept is easy to hold me accountable to, you know 14 words. Once this weekend is over, 14 words, all done. Which means the third step to wake the world up to Jesus is in two words. Next week. You think I'm going to tell you those two words now? Forget it going to make you come back and fight through traffic again. And by the way, I really appreciate all of you who have fought through traffic to be here, been a part of this. For those of you who are in our overflow areas, so just really thankful that you're here as well as Northridge Brighton Howell, Northridge Ann Arbor Saline. Just, it's wonderful to have you embracing the reality of Jesus in 16 words. But this weekend, we look at the truth that we're supposed to tell them his truth. Now, to get into this, I believe it's important that we look at some stories. In fact, three stories. And I don't want you to look at three stories from my life because just because I've lived my life a certain way and and experienced certain stories doesn't mean it's how you're supposed to live your life. And I'm not going to share with you stories from other people in Northridge Church because just because some people are living out their stories in a certain way and having certain experiences doesn't mean that's how you're supposed to do it. I'm going to share with you three stories from the Bible that Jesus made very clear were supposed to be metaphors, representative stories for our lives. Three stories that define what we're supposed to be as his followers. If you're here seeking and searching out whether or not Jesus is for you and God's truth is real, glad to have you here. We want you to see underneath the covers to what it's all supposed to be about. No secret agendas. It's the real deal. So what are these three stories? Well, the first story is about a guy named Andrew. Andrew. If you're newer to the Bible, you wouldn't know this, which is okay, but if you're older to the Bible, you will. Andrew was one of the original 12 followers of Jesus called to tell his world Jesus' truth, one of the original 12. Well, when he first came to Christ, 
he was a respected member of his community. And you can read about Andrew in this particular circumstance in John chapter 1 beginning with verse 35. But he, he, was, he was already a religious guy, already a very respected member of his community. He was a respectable son, a respectable husband, a respectable fisherman. He was a respectable guy in his community. But he discovered what all of us need to discover. Being a person of respect, being a successful person, being a person that's admired isn't enough. You can still be empty. You still have a great need. Well, he finally discovered Jesus. He woke up to Jesus. John the Baptist introduced him to Jesus. And, and Andrew woke up to Jesus and realized, this is what I've been looking for. This is the one I've been looking for. This is the light, the love that I need, the hope that I've been looking for. And immediately, look what happens in John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said, and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did, and you might want to mark those words, the first thing Andrew did when he woke up to Jesus was to then go and find his brother Simon Peter and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ, the promised one of God. And he brought, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Now, once again, if you don't know a lot about the Bible, this isn't a big deal to you, but Peter became one of the most significant beginning followers of Christ. He, he became an apostle. He became a big part of the early days of the church of Jesus Christ being spread to the world so that we might have it in our generation in the 21st century. Peter's a big deal. How did Peter discover Jesus? One way. When Andrew woke up to Jesus, he then went and found Peter. And he told his them, his brother, the truth. There's a second story. It's the story of a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. Now, you need to know, in the culture in which this particular story comes from in the Bible, um, this woman had two strikes against her. The first one was that she was a woman. Not that being a woman's a problem. God created women in his image just as he did men, and we highly value the fact that God has gifted and designed women to make a big difference in this world. But in that culture, in that day, they demeaned woman, women. And so to be a woman was to have a strike against you. What a sad reality, but it was the reality. And she was a Samaritan, second mark against her, because Samaritans were demeaned people in that particular culture, considered to be of less value, of less significance than other people. And that's wrong, it's sad, but it was the reality. She was a Samaritan and a woman. And she had another strike against her. She had made some really bad choices in life. In a world of self-piety and self-righteousness, when people look down their nose at other people, I know that doesn't happen today, but in that culture it did. In, in, in a world like that, she had kind of gone through husbands like paper plates, you know? Been married five times and none of them worked. And so that she was finally just testing people out without marrying them. And, and it was at that point in her life when she was a disrespected member of her community, still living in a town, still associating with a town, still finding her needs met in a town, but very disrespected, rejected in her community, that she met Jesus. She woke up to him. In fact, Jesus, just so you know, went out of his way, went where most Jewish rabbis would never go, into the heart of Samaria, and he went for one reason, to speak to this woman at a well. She showed up at the well, and she was gathering water for herself, all by herself, because she came at a time of the day when other people wouldn't come. Why? Because she was a disrespected member of her community. And Jesus looked at her and said something that no Jew would say. Hey, how about giving me a drink of water? 
And she, it blew her away because she was a woman. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. And not only that, but she had lived an immoral life. She was used to people not talking to her, not associating with her. And he said, would you give me a cup of water? And she looked surprised. And he said, if you knew who was asking you to give him water, you would actually ask him to give you water. Because the water that you've been pursuing, it doesn't satisfy, does it? All the ways that you've been living your life leaves you empty and unfulfilled and broken. You're alone and isolated in this world, but the water that I give is the water of life and fullness. You're looking for light in a world of darkness. I can bring it. You're looking for love in a world of hatred. I can bring it. You're looking for a new life in a world where failure is final. Well, failure is not final. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for that water. After a long discussion, she finally figured it out. This really was the one who could do it that she'd been looking for. She woke up to Jesus. She woke up to Jesus. And you know what she immediately did? It's surprising to me because I wouldn't have immediately done this. If I was a disrespected member of a community, the last thing I would ever do when I found Jesus would go back to that community by nature. I mean, the last thing I'd do if I had good news is go back to the people who didn't deserve it from me. I'd go to new places, to different places. But she didn't. Look what she did in John chapter 4, verses 28 and 30, and then verse 39. Then leaving her water jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, the people who had disrespected her, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the one? And as a result of her story, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Now this is interesting. She had no influence over these people whatsoever. She was disrespected by them. But yet she still had influence with them. Why? Because when they saw the transformation in her life, what did they want? What she got. And so they went out to see this Jesus. And as a result, many of these people who had disrespected this woman because of her story, because she went to tell them his truth, discovered Jesus themselves. They woke up to Jesus. So a respected member of the community, Andrew, the minute he woke up to Jesus, he went and told his them, his world, Jesus' truth. A Samaritan woman, a disrespected member of her community, as soon as she woke up to Jesus, immediately went back to her town and she changed her town because she told them his truth. And then there was Legion. Legion. Weird name, Legion. He was called that because he was filled with so many evil spirits that he didn't speak with one voice but many. I mean, this is a split personality guy if there's ever been one. I mean, Legion. And, and he wasn't a respected member of his community, and he wasn't a disrespected member of his community. He was outcast from his community. This guy, and you need to know on this day, you weren't supposed to touch dead things. It really wasn't a big thing. He lived among the tombs because it's the only place he was accepted. He was an outcast of all communities. And, and he literally wandered the world naked and lived in caves and tombs with, you know, the bones of dead people. He was an outcast of the community. He was a messed up, broken person. But Jesus left Capernaum where he lived and got in a boat with his followers and diagonally went across the Sea of Galilee to the community where this guy was from called the Decapolis, the place of ten cities. Roman cultured cities with marble and power and education and influence and wealth. Beautiful cities that this guy had been thrown out of. And Jesus came to the Decapolis, and you'd think he'd go to the places of power and to the people of influence, but he he literally traveled all the way across the Sea of Galilee for one reason, and it was to see this man who no one wanted around. Walked up to this man in the midst of those tombs with this guy naked and crazy, and he said, what's your name? 
Now, I don't know where you are in life, but I do know this. You fit one of these categories. You're either a respected member of your community, but still finding yourself empty if you don't know Jesus, or a disrespected member of your community looking for hope in all the wrong places if you haven't found Jesus, or a total outcast. But here's the good news. Jesus is relevant to you wherever you're at, whoever you are, whatever you've done. He cares about your name like he did this guy. And then ultimately, a long story short, this guy woke up to Jesus and Jesus cast out all of these evil influences in his life and this guy became normal. Only with Jesus. Filled with light when he had lived in such a world of darkness. Filled with love when he had come from such a world of hate. Filled with hope when he had lived nothing but despair. Jesus delivered him. It's an amazing thing. But then look at how the story continues in Matthew, Mark chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was getting into the boat, he was getting ready to leave. He only came for this one guy. And so after dealing with this one guy, he was getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But look at the next five words. Jesus did not let him. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I think God's making a mistake. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I think, what, what, what's your deal? And this is one of those times I go, this guy's an outcast of everybody who's ever known him. He's never been loved by anyone until you loved him and cared about his name. And now you've just delivered him and he's been given a whole new life, a whole new story. And he wants to go with you. Sounds like a reasonable thing. And so he says, hey, can I go with you? And what's Jesus say? No. What, wasn't there room in the boat? I mean, this is a problem from my view. It's like, what? why would you say no? It doesn't make any sense to me why he'd say no. And then look what Jesus says. This is what he said. No, you can't go with me. Go home to your family, the ones that had thrown you out and not want anything to do with you. Go back to your town, the ones who threw you out, didn't want anything. Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. You go fully clothed, fully transformed, and they're going to go, what in the world happened to you? And you're going to be able to do what you're supposed to do. Tell them his truth. Tell them about Jesus. And so the man went away and began to tell in all of the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. If I could just point out a couple of things. The first thing is, I don't think most of us would have done this. I think most of us would have been PO'd at Jesus and said, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. You're not who you measure up to be. You don't love me at all. This was all some kind of manipulative religious trick. I mean, why can't I even go with you where you want to go? We would have been mad. We would have then started throwing a pity party and we wouldn't have obeyed him. We would have gone out and done our own thing because obviously he doesn't love us. But this guy had been so transformed by Jesus that he decided even though Jesus wouldn't let him go with him, he was going to trust him even though he didn't understand. And so he just went and told a story. And then all the people in these well-cultured cities, these cities of influence that ultimately influenced the world, heard his story and they were amazed and there's more to this story because when Jesus left in his boat and wouldn't let this guy go everybody in the Decapolis wanted him to go at this point because he had kind of cast all those evil spirits out of legion into some pigs and all those pigs kind of jumped into the sea of Galilee wasn't good for the business of the area and everybody came and out of fear said get lost Jesus get lost we don't want your branded junk here and so Jesus left having changed one person isn't it interesting They were more concerned about the loss of a couple of pigs than they were about the life change that just occurred in one of their outcasts. Isn't that interesting? 
Many people are more interested in the loss of business than they are seeing Jesus change lives. It's one of the reasons we don't tell people about Jesus because we might lose our jobs, we might lose our respect, we might lose our reputation. It might not be good on the resume, but they threw him out. No one in the Decapolis wanted Jesus. In Matthew 15, we find Jesus coming back to the Decapolis. And I have it marked on your outline in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 31. And an interesting thing is going on. No one wanted Jesus there when he left. When he came back, everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. The multitudes were coming from the Decapolis to meet this Jesus. And interestingly, they were bringing the physically challenged, the emotionally challenged, the spiritually challenged, the outcasts of their society and from their families. They were bringing them to Jesus. What had changed from when they said, get lost, to now they're saying, we want you? What had changed? Only one thing. This man had gone into his world, to his thems, and he had told them what great things Jesus had done. He had told them his truth. And it transformed these cities of power. You couldn't have gone in and won political influence if you wanted to. You couldn't have gone in and won respect if you wanted to. But this outcast had been so transformed that he changed the Decapolis, ten cultured cities, by telling them his story of Jesus' truth. A little side note, One of these cities is a place called Seceda, and the bishop of Seceda was a member of the the team that wrote the Nicene Creed, a very important document throughout church history. The Nicene Creed, big part of Christianity and church history. The bishop of Seceda would have never known about Jesus had it not been for this crazy outcast dude that Jesus wouldn't let in his boat because he was supposed to go to his world, to his them, and tell Jesus' truth to those towns. Christianity flourished. The world changed. We know about Jesus today because of Legion going and telling them his truth. Why didn't Jesus let him in the boat? Didn't make sense at the time. Makes a lot of sense now because Jesus knew this man would change the world. I don't know why Jesus isn't letting your life be what you think it should be. I don't know why things aren't all working the way you want. And I know, just like I do in my life, you're thinking that he's screwing it all up. But I'm going to tell you right now, He's got it right. And if you just trust him like this guy did, you'll be a part of experiencing the world as it was meant to be experienced. And without him, you won't. Now, what I want you to see from each one of these three stories is that they're all telling us the same thing. The first thing we're seeing in each one of these stories is that each one of these people woke up to Jesus. They woke up to Jesus. They discovered and experienced in him everything they were looking for. Though they didn't think it would be someone like Jesus, they, some had rejected him. Some were respectable, some were disrespectful, some were outcasts. But each one of them woke up to Jesus. And in waking up to him, they finally found what they were looking for, life and fullness. Each one of them. Each one of them in each of these stories went to the people in their world. Andrew went to his brother. The Samaritan woman went to her town. Legion went to the people in his communities. Each one went to the people in their world. Interestingly, they knew they're them. They knew who was in their world. They knew who they had influence over. They knew who their voice would count with. And they went. And each one shared their story about Jesus. They didn't go to seminary and Christian education. They didn't all become pastors and all that stuff. But each one woke up to Jesus, went into their world... And then they shared their story about Jesus. They shared what they discovered and what they experienced and what Jesus had done in their life. And each one woke their world up to Jesus, changed their worlds, brought them life and fullness and hope. Think about this. 
Peter, who was a big part of changing the entire world in the name of Jesus, would have never known Jesus without Andrew. The Samaritan town was forever changed and generations after that forever changed because this woman who had been disrespected in that town went and woke them up to Jesus. And Legion changed the Decapolis, changed us because he woke up his world to Jesus. Here's the truth that I want you to see. God has called each one of us to do exactly the same thing. This isn't just their story. It's supposed to be ours. God has called each and every one of us to do the same, to wake up to Jesus ourselves and to realize he's what we're looking for. He's what we're longing for. He's life. He's fullness. And then, once we wake up to Jesus, we're to wake up our world to Jesus. We're to go to our thems, our spheres of influence, and tell them about Jesus, like Andrew, the Samaritan woman, and Legion. We're supposed to tell them his truth. Four words that can change our worlds. Look at what Jesus said, just so you know it's not from me, it's from him. In John chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, Jesus is praying to the Father. You need to know the context. He's praying to God the Father. This is a private prayer that God records for us. And Jesus says, Father, I've given them your word. Do you see those four words, given them your word? That's really important. I've done what you've called me to do. I've given you glory while on earth in this prayer. He says, I finished the work you sent me to do. And what was that work? I've given them your word. I've done what you told me to do. You you sent me to tell them your truth. And, And God, I've done it. I've told them your truth. I've given them your word. It's why Jesus came, so that we might know the truth about God and the truth about life, the truth about ourselves, and we might experience the full impact of that truth in being set free. And then Jesus adds to his prayer, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He says, God, your word has power. And I'm asking you, since I've told them your truth, I'm asking you to use your truth to change their lives, to transform their lives, to, to sanctify them, to make them holy, to, to take them from failure to fulfill, to take them from lost to found, to take them from darkness to light, to take them from hatred to love. I'm asking you to sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then look what he says in the very next verse of this prayer. He's talking to God and he says, as you sent me into the world, and by the way, how did he send Jesus into the world? To tell them his truth. As you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. If he was sent into the world to tell them his truth, and he sent us into the world as he had been sent into the world, why have we been sent into the world? To tell them his truth. And then look at how he kind of finishes off this prayer a little bit. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is how... Jesus is passed along. Someone wakes up to Jesus and they go into their world. They don't run from their world. They don't hide from their world. They go into their world and they know they're thems and they wake them up to Jesus by telling them his truth. This is how the world changed. Do you know why the world knows so little about God's truth? It's because those who have been sent into the world to tell them his truth aren't telling them his truth. Most who have been, like Jesus, sent into this world to tell them his truth can't say, Father, I fulfilled what you called me to do. I've done what you've sent me to do. 
I've given them your word. I've told them your truth. No, most are secret believers, private believers. Most aren't sparing the truth because it might damage their business or their life or they're afraid. But, but it didn't happen with Andrew. It didn't happen with Samaritan woman. It didn't happen with Legion. And as a result, those worlds got changed. The reason so much of our world doesn't get changed is because so many who have the truth don't tell them his truth. Because if you tell your world his truth and I tell my world his truth and we all tell our world's his truth. We all go to our thems and tell the truth. This world knows the truth and this world changes forever. But it's not. We've been sent like Jesus to tell them this truth. Now if we're going to do it, I have found that there are reasons that I don't. There are reasons that I, I hedge my bets on this. There are reasons that I'm not passionate about it. And I bet if I'm right and you're a little bit like me, the, the same reasons would hold true with you. So this is some of the stuff that I've had to discover for me and maybe it will help you as well. If we're going to really go into our worlds, our family circles, our workplace circles, our neighborhoods, our communities, and we're going to do what Andrew and the Samaritan woman and the Legion did, tell them his truth, then we first of all need to know the importance of his truth. We need to understand the importance of his truth. Without his truth, this world is forever enslaved. Without this truth, this world will ever be in darkness. Without his truth, this world will only know hatred instead of Uh, instead of love and conflict instead of peace without his truth people will be looking for fullness but always being empty his truth is vitally important and just so you know Jesus is the ultimate truth we're supposed to be waking the world up to Jesus he's the truth he's the living word in John 14 6 he said I am the way the truth and the life and no one gets to the father but by me he's the truth we're introducing people he's the truth that can change the world he's the truth that everybody in the world needs and without which no one will ever truly live or be fulfilled and yet the the Bible the written word of God was inspired by God and breathed out by God to help us to know the truth Jesus in fact look what 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 says the truth is so important All scripture, all of God's truth is God-breathed. It's been inspired by God and it's useful for everything we need. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You want to know how to live? What you need is God's truth. That's how important it is. And then if you have his truth, it says the man of God, the person of God, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The written truth of God was given so that we might have everything we need to find and live and experience the life that he had for us. That's how important it is. But most people don't know because they've never heard. And most people haven't heard because the people who've been sent to tell them his truth are hiding his truth. We have to understand how important it is. Do you realize that your family, the people you work with, your community, every person you've ever met, any person in your sphere of influence will never have any hope, any shot until they know his truth? And you've been sent to tell them his truth. You hold the key. That's pretty important. It should drive you to do something with that. But it goes further than that. If we're going to tell them his truth, then it it has to go beyond us knowing how important it is. We have to experience the impact of his truth. If I'm going to tell people in my world the truth, I need to be experiencing the impact of that truth. I mean, the impact. John 8, 32 tells us what happens. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When you really know Jesus, when you really know his truth, when you really apply it to your life, you experience freedom 
from all that used to drive you, from all the destructive patterns of life, from all the addictions and brokenness and healing and shame and all the darkness that drives you to hurt other people and to hurt yourself, the truth sets you free. And when you experience that for the first time, when you experience him setting you free, the impact of that makes you want to tell others. A good example, I think, of this is, is, for me at least, found in the issue of cancer. You know, cancer is an extremely deadly disease. I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer uh, 12 years ago, and that's the closest person to me who's lost a war with cancer in that way. And so I know a little bit about pancreatic cancer, and I kind of watch the advancements and what's treatable out there and all that. But, but the truth is, I, I know how important it is to understand issues of health, and I know how important it is to understand the best way to attack certain kinds of han- cancer. I mean, I know how important it is, but... You know, I really don't do much with it. Really. Don't know much about it. I'm not researching it all the time. I'm not an expert. And, you know, people get cancer and people die. And, and I feel bad about it. But I, I don't really do much with it. But let's imagine, if you would, that tomorrow I get a certain kind of cancer. Tomorrow I find out I have cancer. All of a sudden I'd care in a very different way about cancer. And so would my family, and so would my friends, and everyone who cared about me. I mean, we'd care. In fact, we would all commit ourselves to becoming experts on this kind of cancer, understanding what it's like, what, what we can expect from it, what, what kind of prognosis is possible, what kind of potential for life is possible, and, and what kind of treatments are available. What are the advanced treatments like? What's on the cutting edge right now? We would do everything we could to find out if this could be treatable in any way, and I could be safe from this cancer. All of us would. I would. And let's say we, we found a wonderful doctor who had made advancements that could maybe cure me of this cancer and she lived in Philadelphia. Uh, If she lived in Cleveland, I wouldn't even go. But if she lived in Philadelphia, you know, I'd I'd go. I'd do whatever it took to, to, to maybe give myself a chance and my family and my friends would support me in this adventure. And let's say she... She and her studies and her research and her abilities really did heal me of cancer. I mean, could you imagine how I'd feel? Can you imagine how those who loved me would feel? Can you imagine? And I'm going to tell you right now, if that happened, I would make it my business to communicate with everybody who is dealing with that form of cancer every place in the world and tell them, there's this woman in Philadelphia who can maybe save you the tragedy that you're facing. I'd be obnoxious about it. I'd tell them why. Because it had gone from being an important thing to being a personally impacting thing. And I'd want to tell people the truth. Do you get that? Well, let me just tell you something. That's exactly what we've been sent to do in our worlds. Not everybody's going to be affected by certain kinds of cancer, but every single person is affected by the darkness and the deception and the lies of this world. Every one of us has been broken by them and hurt by them. Every one of us knows what it's like to be empty and unfulfilled, to be disrespected and sometimes to be outcast. Every one of us knows what it's like. And every human being alive, in here and out there, every human being needs the cure. And the cure is Jesus. And someone's got to tell them his truth. And if we had really been impacted by his truth, if we had really been set free, if we had really been transformed, if he had really redefined our life as a person being healed from cancer, if he had made that big of a difference in our lives, wouldn't we be telling everyone we knew his truth? 
This is what was going on with Andrew. He didn't think twice about it. He discovered his cure and he went to his world and told Peter, Jesus is the one. This is what the Samaritan woman did. It overrode everything else in her life. She didn't think about the people who had hurt her and how she had been disrespected by this community. She had found the answer to life and she went into her world and she told them his truth because it could change them like it changed her. This is what happened to Legion. He didn't care what happened. He was going to tell them his truth because it could change the world. Why aren't we doing that? Could it be that we really haven't been all that impacted by Jesus? He's a story we embrace. He resents the truth out there. Might even be important. We might sing songs about it and gather in places like this about it. But we have no intention of carrying his truth out into our world because we really don't understand how desperately every person in it needs him. But if we're experiencing it, we'll tell them his truth. If we're going to ultimately tell them, our world, his truth, we need to embrace our God-given identity. We need to embrace our God-given identity and tell them his truth. You say, what's our God-given identity as Christ followers? Well, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when you, when you really experience me and my power within you, you will, by identity, be my witnesses. The people who tell what you've experienced and what you've discovered and what I've done for you. This is what Legion did, the Samaritan woman did, and Andrew did. They understood their God-given identity. They were now his storytellers. They were his witnesses. They were the ones to make him known. And he says, you'll be my witnesses by identity in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our identity, if you're a Christ follower, your identity is witness. A witness to his story, a witness to his power, a witness to his truth. You can take light into your world of darkness. Our identity as Christ followers is we are his witnesses. Now, the way many believers keep Jesus in their life, such a well-kept secret, it appears that they have misunderstood their calling to mean that Jesus wanted them to enter the witness protection program. That's not right. He doesn't want you to hide your identity, to pretend you're someone else. Your identity is witness. Wherever we are, wherever we go, whatever we do, we are as witnesses. To which many say, no, you know, I, I, I'm not as, no, I'm, I'm a lawyer, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a factory worker, or I'm a warehouse worker, I'm a custodian, I'm, I'm a homemaker, I'm, I'm this. No, that's what you do. But your identity is a witness. And God has opened up the door for you to be a lawyer and a teacher and a warehouse worker and a factory worker and homemaker and whatever else you do so that you might have a world, a group of thems, a sphere of influence where you can be a witness. And this is what he's telling us. Even lawyers need Jesus. No, that's not right. Especially lawyers need Jesus. But here's the, the deal. You're a witness wherever you are, at work, at home, at play. You're to be a witness to tell them his truth, to wake them up to Jesus because that's what your world needs. 
We're to do what Andrew did and the Samaritan woman and the guy once known as Legion. Once we wake up to Jesus ourselves and, and, and once we genuinely are walking with him and filled with his spirit and empowered by his transforming touch, we are to then wake others up to Jesus, help them to see the light. We're to go to our them, know our them, show them his love and tell them his truth and we're to do it through the lens of our story. You don't have to be some academic. You don't have to be some seminarian. You don't have to be some pastor. You just have to have a story. If Jesus has changed your life, you have the only story the world really needs. But you need to share it. And here's the reality. If we don't tell them his truth, they will never know it. If we don't tell them, they'll never know it. Do you know why most of the world sees Jesus as religion? It's because those who have experienced a genuine relationship with him haven't told them that Jesus isn't religion. He's real. Do you you know why most people think of Jesus as a myth? Because the people who have experienced them in their reality have never told them his truth, that he's not myth, he's real. That's us. Our worlds will never be able to doubt the reality of Jesus if We're experiencing his transforming power and then we tell them the truth of our story. He, Jesus, changed us. Tell them his truth. Look at Romans 10, 13 through 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that verse. Everyone. The reason I gave you the three stories I gave you is because everyone includes respected people in the community. The people that most of us think, don't need anything, who actually need everything we need. They too, in all of their respect, are empty. They too will never find life in spite of all their successes without Jesus. Everyone includes respected people. Everyone includes disrespected people. People who are on the outs in their culture and people who have made choices that make them losers in our culture. Guess what? They're everyone. And if they call on the name of the Lord, they can be saved. You know who else it includes? It includes outcasts, people that no one in the world cares about. They're a part of the everyone and they can be saved. I don't know where you see yourself, but I do know this. Jesus sees you as someone he loves and he wants you to call so that you too can be saved. That's the truth. And then he says, but how can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one in whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Don't get thrown off by that word preaching. It's not talking about people like me. It's talking about people like you. It's talking about how will they ever hear if no one tells them the story? This is the word for heralding. How will, they, how will they ever know if no one broadcasts the news? And how can they broadcast the news unless they're sent? Well, we are sent because as Jesus was sent to tell them his truth, so we've been sent to tell them his truth. The only question that remains is, are we? Are you? Now, I need to give you a note, kind of an aside. If you're here and you've never experienced him, like Andrew, like the Samaritan woman, like Legion, if you've never experienced his transformation, all you've experienced religion maybe, and you've experienced the story in Christianity, you might have even been baptized and taken the sacraments and gone through catechism or whatever you've done. You might have, or maybe not. But if you've never really experienced his transforming touch, I need you to know this is your opportunity right now. Right now. Because, and there's more of the talk to come, but in this moment right now, You're my them. You see, God, for some reason, and I don't know why, but he's put you right now into the sphere of my influence where my voice can have an influence over your life. You're my them. 
And here's my responsibility to tell you his truth. And his truth is that without him, you'll never find what you're looking for. Without him, you'll never know life. Without him, you'll always play the role of what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with me. But with him, you can know the fulfillment of everything you're longing for. Not all of your dreams on the outside, but all of your longings on the inside. He is the one you need, but you have to open the door to him. The Samaritan woman had to first open her life to him. Legion had to open his life to him. You need to do the same thing. And so right now, in this moment, I just encourage you, let him in. As I tell you his truth, open your life to it. And so there's just a little section of the talk to come which ends it in a way that you need to be a part of. I'm going to ask if you would bow with me in a word of prayer just right now. And if you're watching online or a part of one of our uh, Northridge Church at Brighton Howell or Ann Arbor Selene, I'm just going to ask you if you'd just... Just bow your heads with me and engage this moment. If you've never experienced him, pray with me. Make my words the expression of your heart. Just say, God, I'm one of those everyones that's right now calling on your name, needing you to save me. My life is broken. You know the insides. You know the darkness. You know the choices. You know my sin. You know my doubt. But I put my faith in the fact that you died on the cross to forgive me of this sin. And I put my faith in your resurrection as my source for new life. And I'm asking you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, I really want to encourage you, please let me know. You may have heard me say this before if you've been here before, but it's relevant if you just prayed with me. In the program we handed you, in any of our live service gatherings, inside is a connection card, and you just rip it out, and on the front is a place where you can fill out your name and address, and on the bottom it says, today I prayed to receive Jesus. And if you did, I'm just going to encourage you, please fill it out. Put it in one of the boxes at all of our exits, and we're going to send you a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And, and if you're watching Church Online and you've just prayed with me, hit the What Next button and we'll do the same thing for you. But, but let me go further here. If you have experienced Jesus' touch in your life, his transforming power, as many of us have, you need to do now what Andrew and the Samaritan woman and Legion did in their world. You need to take the story of Jesus' change in your life and tell that truth to your thems, to your world. Are you? Do you even know your thems? I mean, do you know them? The people in your family and friendship circles in your workplace, the people who desperately need to know his truth and you're supposed to tell them. I have a, I have a bunch of friends who do stuff like this, but one in particular stands out. He, he got so committed to this, that he made a list of almost 200 names representing his thems. People that God had put into his life, into his sphere of influence, either through growing up years and friendships or business relationships, whatever means. And he, I mean, specifically identified his thems, about 200. And then he said, it is my mission in life to wake them up to Jesus, to show them what they need. As if he had been cured from cancer, he saw this as more important. He was going to wake them up to Jesus. It's what they needed. And so he started showing them his love. He literally would make sacrifices to fly around the world, to invest time in these people, to get with these people, to show he cared 
cared, to show them his love, and ultimately started, what's going on with you? And he got to then tell them his truth. And as a result, many of the names on that list, many of his them started coming to faith in Christ. Their life started changing. And of course, his world kept expanding, and so he kept putting new names on there. And you know what he did? He saw that as his responsibility, not as the church's responsibility. It was his job to show them his love, his neighbors, his friends, his co-workers, not the church's. And then to tell them his truth. And as a result, the church was becoming more like that because the people he was reaching was doing that. And you know what else he did? He used what we do around here as a support to him fulfilling his responsibility. He would show them his love and then he would invite them into our atmosphere to say, I'm not the only one who knows his love and we could show them his love. And and then he would tell them his truth. He wouldn't just pass that off to me or others. He'd tell them his truth, but then he'd invite them into this place on the weekends or the glory of Christmas was big for him and, and they would hear his truth there too and many of them came to faith. In fact, that glory of Christmas, he would literally fill up rows and rows and rows at most of the concerts because, because he knew his them and he wanted them to hear the truth that he had been sharing in a new way so that they might come to faith and tons of people came to faith. Can I ask you, are you doing that with even one person in your world? Do you know your thems? Are you telling them his truth? Are you fulfilling what you've been called to do? Can you pray, God, I've given them your word, now change their lives? Now, if we're going to tell them his truth, just one last thing you need to know. If you're going to tell them his truth, you need to continue to grow in your knowledge and experience of his truth. You need to continue to grow in your knowledge of his truth and your experience of his truth because the questions are going to become big. In fact, look at what Peter, Peter, the one who was reached by Andrew in the story that we saw, look what he says in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, in your hearts, set about Christ as Lord. I mean, wake up to Jesus and make him Lord of your life. Pursue his kingdom instead of your kingdom. Pursue his will instead of your will. And when you do, your life will change in dramatic ways. So always be prepared, he says, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. How come you have so much hope in a world of despair? How come you have so much love in a world of hatred? How can you have joy in the midst of so much joylessness? How do you do that? And you can give an answer by telling them it's truth. But I've been asked questions over the years that are way over my IQ. Way over. And so I've had to keep growing in my knowledge and understanding of the truth and I've had to research these things and in researching to give answers to others, I've grown myself. You have to keep growing in your knowledge and experience of the truth. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 2 and 15. Here's how. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, Paul the Apostle says, now you have to share them with others. Entrust them to reliable men who will then pass them on to even others. Do you know how the truth of Jesus gets passed? I hear it from Andrew And then I share it with my thems. I hear it from the Samaritan woman, and then I share it with my friends. I hear it from Legion, and then I share it with my friends. You heard it from someone. Are you sharing it now with your thems? And then it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. We need to study the word of God, know the word of God, expose ourselves to the word of God, to the truth, so that we can get better and better at communicating about it, so we can connect our story more powerfully to it. Here's where Northridge Church can be a big help to you. Obviously, in our services, I'm sharing the Word of God. We're sharing the Word of God with you in a way that can help you grow and engage and experience it in new ways. But it goes way beyond that. Because here at Northridge, there will always be people one or two steps ahead of you in the spiritual journey who can reach back and help you navigate the next steps in your relationship with God. And at Northridge, there will always be people one or two steps behind you whom you can reach back to and you can help pull them forward in their journey with Jesus. 
you can tell them his truth. This is really the value of small group. The value of small group is we all need someone one or two steps ahead of us, and so in small group we can have that person, you know, kind of, or those persons leading us forward. Now some of you would say, no, I, I haven't found anybody one or two steps ahead of me yet, Brad. In fact, I've got some ideas about how you can become better at what you do. Well, that's great. That's awesome. It's fantastic. Glad you're here. Seriously. So don't go to small group because you need someone who's one or two steps ahead of you. You need to go to small group because there's someone behind you who desperately needs you. Not the arrogance part of you, but the other parts of you. They need to know. We need to engage in telling our worlds his truth. And we are in 2013 coming up in the new year we're going to be unleashing a ton of new ways on top of small groups that you can start growing in depth and breadth in your spiritual life and your spiritual journey and I just want to encourage you take advantage of those opportunities we are going to help you go deeper not so that you can go deeper but so that you can give better reasons for the hope that's in you so that you can wake the world up to Jesus by showing them his love and telling them his truth now Here's a final thought, and it comes from Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul the Apostle said, my life is worth nothing. Now, I hope you get this. He was made as a person of value. He had the ability to live out a life of value. But he said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. My, my life is worth nothing if I don't finish the work he gave me. And what is that work? Paul says, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I tell them his truth. And you know how I used to read that verse? I used to read that verse as, well, yeah, he has to tell people his truth because he was called to be an apostle, a prophet and everything, but, but I need to find what God's will is for me. Does he want me to be a lawyer or a teacher? Does he want me to be a, you know, a warehouse worker? Does he want, what does he want me to do? And then when I do that, then my life will be worse to me. That's not at all it. Because we've been given the same calling that Paul was giving. Whatever we do vocationally, whatever we are in life, wherever we go, The only way we make our lives worth something is if we finish the work assigned us by the Lord Jesus as he was sent to tell them his truth. So we've been sent to tell them his truth. The question is, are you? Here's my final thought. We'll never know, experience, or fulfill our God-given purpose and value in this world until we make the choice to tell them, our thems, our worlds, his truth. And when we do, There's a chance that like Peter, the town of Samaria, and the Decapolis, there's a chance that our worlds can change because now they know his truth. Fourteen words of the sixteen words down. Only two words left. Next week. (laughs) See you then.